0: Good morning. I'm excited to bring God's Word to you. Uh, as Ryan said, we're taking a, a break in the book of Romans uh, for a standalone sermon this this week, and we're going to hop right into it. Uh, a German theologian by the name of Hendrikus Berkhoff, he once said, the, the 20th century Church of Christ is spiritually unable to stand against the rapid changes that take place around her because she has not learned to view history from the perspective of the reign of Christ. For that reason, she thinks of the events of her own time in entirely secular terms. She is overcome with fear in a worldly manner. And in a worldly manner, she tries to free herself from Fear. In this process, God functions as no more than a beneficent stopgap. When things are rapidly changing around us and spiraling out of our control, Burkhoff says that the, the church of our day forgets to view these events in a Christian way. Rather than seeing God's fatherly hand providentially directing all the events around us, Christians simply insert God as a stopgap when it suits them. Instead of of God being the the ruler of the universe who deserves our our reverential obedience, we treat him more like a a genie in a bottle. We're not mindful of, of God in all of life, submitting all our ways to him, but only when he suits our purposes. When we view our circumstances in an entirely secular and naturalistic way, only inserting God when we want to. Notice what he says here. He says, we begin to be overcome with fear in a worldly manner, and in a worldly manner we try to free ourselves from fear. So instead of entrusting ourselves to God and fearing him in fearful times, we adopt Worldly solutions, ungodly solutions to our problems. We're tempted to lie and to cheat, to steal. We may try to, to cut corners and compromise our biblical principles to get ahead. We might fear the, the possibility of losing our jobs or our 401ks, and so we worry and we are anxious. We see the economy collapsing around us, so we choose to be greedy and tight-fisted. We think that, that somehow that will protect us from the impending doom. Or we justify our unrighteous tactics and our hatred and our impatience because those other people around us, they, they deserve it. But what I'm trying to, to highlight in all of these things is the, the larger tendency that we have to take matters into our own hands, to play by our own rules, and to only think of God as, as an afterthought. But what if that reason, reasoning is backwards and unbiblical? What if instead the, the blessings of God are poured out on those who obey and fear him, those who forsake worldly and sinful solutions to their problems, those who pursue righteousness. The the psalm we're going to look at this morning reminds us that it's the righteous who will triumph. And it reminds us that the righteous will triumph according to God's ways and not our own. We need to, to hear that in our unsettling and fearful times where we're tempted to think like worldly people. The author of Psalm 112 finds himself in a place not so distant from where we find ourselves today. One commentator says, the psalmist lives in darkness and he needs light. He has enemies and needs victory. He hears reports of disaster and must remain steadfast. This psalm is for us. If you Have your Bibles with you. Please turn to Psalm 112, and if you are able, out of reverence for God's word, would you please stand as we receive it. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and merciful and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, would you bless the preaching of your word? May your spirit cause it to, to run among your people to accomplish something in us to affect us would you be glorified this morning as we open and dwell on your word in the name of Jesus amen you may be seated my aim this morning and the aim of of our psalm is to encourage you to live righteous godly and obedient lives even in the face of dark days bad news and wicked people. Psalm 112 is considered a wisdom psalm. And if you're familiar with the book of Psalms, you may recognize that this particular psalm, it joins together elements from, from Psalm 1, from Psalm 37, from a few others in the Psalter. It's, it's also considered a companion psalm to Psalm 111, uh, the, the one that's just before it. The the structure of each of these psalms follows a similar acrostic pattern using the the Hebrew alphabet, and there are some parallels and echoes uh, between Psalm 111 and Psalm 112. Uh, 111 focusing more on the glory of God and his mighty works and his redemption, and Psalm 112 focusing more on the moral character and the, the life of the godly man. And this this context has significance for how we understand each of them and their implications. This morning uh, we are going to focus on Psalm uh, 112 here and in particular how the righteous triumph. We're going to look at the, the earthly benefits that, that come to the righteous the, the godly manner in which the righteous obtain these benefits and the eternal end of the righteous. So first, consider the, the earthly blessings of the righteous. Now, as soon as you hear me say that, you might think that this uh, sounds like a health and wealth gospel, but I assure you, it's not what it is. For one, the, the psalmist himself hints at his own difficulties and troubles. Verse four mentions darkness. Verse seven mentions reports of bad news. Verse 10 mentions the the wicked man. The psalmist, he's not immune to trouble and he doesn't pretend that we should live a life free from difficulty. That's not what it's saying. Nowhere in scripture are we promised a luxurious life without trials but we are promised that we will share in in Christ's sufferings. And so saints should expect hardship. But second, we shouldn't let a a fear of something that sounds like the prosperity gospel to keep us from recognizing the very real connection between a life of righteousness and the attendant blessings of God that come from such a life. Listen to the, the Deuteronomic blessings that Moses relays to the Israelites if they keep covenant with God. Look at chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. It says, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Now, God is not a vending machine. These are not just formulaic and impersonal transactions, but this text in Deuteronomy shows us the, the fatherly blessings that the, Lord, that the Lord gives that follow the obedience of his people. God does promise favor to those who walk in his ways. Obviously, there are exceptions to this rule, And we know that a life of wise and godly living does not guarantee a life free from poverty and suffering. We know this from the book of Job. We know this from other wisdom literature in the Bible. We see it in the life of the apostles. We know it even in our own lives. But even if you miss out on the earthly side of God's blessings from a human perspective, Perspective: The principle still holds true for the believer in this life or in the next. God blesses his people. So, having that background in mind, I want to return to, to Psalm 112. And I want to highlight some of the earthly blessings promised to the righteous in our text. Look at verse 1. Blessed. Is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. The first earthly good granted to the righteous is that they are blessed. They are joyful. But even more than that, they know that they are right with God. This is the the blessedness of the man from Psalm 32 who knows that his sins are forgiven. And Being forgiven, this is the man who delights in obeying God. And in obeying God, he derives delight from his obedience. He fears the Lord. He loves the Lord. He obeys the Lord, and thus, he has joy. This is the the foundation of all the other blessings. This is what sustains you, even under a hard providence. Next We're told in verse 2 that his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. We see that the, the Lord is generationally faithful to his people. Exodus 34 says that his mercy extends to a thousand generations towards them that love him and keep his commandments. For those of us who are parents, we hold on to this promise that the descendants of the righteous will be blessed. So we take great care to to live righteous and upright lives in obedience to God's word, and as we discipline and educate and train up our children, we have great confidence that our children will see our faith and embrace it as their own. Further, we see that the the righteous will have children that are mighty, mighty. They'll be valiant. This is a a term that's used in in military context. And and here it's, it's forward looking. The offspring of the righteous will inherit positions of influence and stature. They will be mighty in the land. Matthew Henry says, When good men themselves are happy in heaven, their seed, perhaps, are considerable on earth, and will own that it is by virtue of a blessing descending from them. So good men are happy in heaven, they're they're dead and gone, their seed, and I love how he says, perhaps, are considerable on earth, and will own that it is by virtue of a blessing descending from them. If you've had the, the privilege of living downstream from believing grandparents, believing Parents, you know the the reality of this blessing. We, as Christians, we can't afford to view our children in secular terms. We can't raise them in worldly manners, or we will perhaps miss out on these blessings. Third, our text then assures us that God will provide for the righteous. He will not leave them Want. Verse three says, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Material blessings are a gift. They enable and empower us to bless others, to get things done. And we have to be careful not to, to view wealth and riches as though. There's sin just in in the things themselves. Obviously, dollar bills and bank accounts don't sin. It's our hearts that sin. We need not be afraid of prosperity, but we should be aware of the the temptations that often surround it. But because material blessings are given by God, we should have a, a positive view of wealth. We should receive it with gratitude for the gift that it is. We should use it for the sake of God's kingdom and his glory. However, in this verse reminds us, we must also keep in mind that, that spiritual blessings that eclipse material blessings in their glory. One commentator captures this by saying that grace is better than gold. We must Remember, as the psalmist tells us here, that that righteousness will outlast riches. But in our understanding of these things, we must remember that that both of them, riches and righteousness, they come from God. And as soon as we try to take him out of the equation and we think that, that those things come solely from our own efforts and our labors, we'll go astray. The last earthly blessing bestowed on the righteous that I want to draw your attention to is seen in the the first half of verse four. It says, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. Like the psalmist, we find ourselves in darkness today. Again, the, the righteous are not exempt from trouble and affliction. A few weeks ago, you might recall Pastor Greg introducing uh, the phrase doom-scrolling to your vocabulary. And I'll say it does not take very much doom-scrolling. In fact, it doesn't take much scrolling at all to recognize that we find ourselves in dark times. Violence, wickedness, incompetent rulers, sickness, radical HR departments, injustice. These are things that often afflict and press in on God's people. Nevertheless, the Lord brings light to his people in darkness. Like the the Israelites having light in their homes amidst the, the Egyptian darkness. The Lord will comfort and support and uphold the upright. He will be your light. These are just some of the earthly Blessings that God pours out on the righteous. But I mentioned in, in the introduction how in difficult and dark times, um, we can also be tempted to, to want to bend God's law and his ways. We can desire the, the blessings of God, and yet we can seek to obtain them by our own rules. We can seek to uh, find solutions to our difficulties in worldly and sinful manners using earthly means we see our enemies we see the evil taking place around us in our society we see political corruption on the news we know that that abortion and homosexuality and consumeristic envy these things corrupt our land we want and and we want to, to stop it our hearts want to retaliate against that evil it's interesting in these times that we even see non-Christians opposed to some of the same things that we are. But even if non-Christians are sometimes helpful in, in fighting common enemies or problems, we have to be careful here. Because non-believers don't honor God in how they approach these things. They want the blessings of God while Rejecting the source of those blessings. As Andrew T. Walker pointed out in a recent article, he said, Christians cannot let what is functionally pagan do our work. And he says that even if we share a set of limited objectives, he goes on, he says, under no circumstances can we take the substance and style of our convictions from the cues of a secularized worldview. And it's time for Christians to recognize this fact. We can't obtain godly outcomes and experience the, the blessings of God for us and for our society and reject the God who promises and gives them. So we need to be careful that our, our conduct and our methods remain distinctly Christian. So we ought not to make Compromises. Instead, we need to use the the godly means of the righteous. So we see that that God blesses the righteous, that He causes righteousness to ultimately triumph, but we also see that God intends to make it so on His terms. He's not just concerned with the righteous winning, but with winning in righteousness, to do it uh, with the correct heart and approach. He wants our hearts to be rooted and confident in him and not in our own devices and plans. In reflecting on Psalm 112, uh, once more, Matthew Henry says this. He says, if we keep our thoughts composed and ourselves masters of them, our wills resigned to the holy will of God, our temper sedate and our spirits even, Under all the unevenness of providence, we are well fortified against the agitations of the timorous, the the fearful. Trusting in the Lord is the best and surest way of fixing and establishing the heart. By faith, we must cast anchor in the promise, in the word of God, and so return to him and repose in him as our rest. The heart of man cannot fix Anywhere to its satisfaction, but in the truth of God. And there it finds firm footing. When our hearts are agitated, we need firm footing in the truth of God's word. And when we face difficult decisions and darkness, the thought, what does God say must have the ultimate authority in what we do and in how we respond And as a church, we ought to hold one one another accountable um, as we attempt to live according to God's word. So looking back at our text, what does Psalm 112 tell us about the, the means of the righteous? If the unrighteous are deceived as they aspire after happiness by nefarious and unlawful practices, as Calvin says. He says, the unrighteous aspire after happiness by nefarious and unlawful practices. How ought the righteous to behave in difficult times? For one, they ought to be gracious, merciful, and righteous. Second half of verse four says that the righteous man, he is gracious, merciful, and righteous. This is the the disposition of the Christian in dark times. It's the disposition that that God has toward us, his undeserving and sinful creatures. And to the extent that it's humanly possible, we should reflect God's nature in our dealings with those around us. The world tells us in darkness to be ruthless and vengeful, to look out for our own interests. God tells us not to repay evil with evil, to look out for the interests of others before our own. This does not require you to be spineless in dealing with the evil that's around you, but it does obligate you to always act in mercy and love and care for your neighbor as God's law requires of you. So, Ask yourself, in addressing the the people and the problems around you, does your character reflect the character of God who is himself gracious and righteous and merciful? Is your standard in your response, is it God's word or is it simply just your own feelings? Next, Psalm 112 shows us that the righteous person shows great generosity Verse 5 says, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends. Verse 9 adds, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. God, he blesses the the righteous with plenty. Not so that they can penny pinch and, and cling to their wealth. But so that they can deal generously with those in legitimate need in uncertain economic times we're tempted to be greedy to to hold on to whatever we have to be miserly but conversely in God's kingdom that logic is inverted we're told that it's better to give than to receive that God blesses us so that we might bless others even our enemies the New Testament, Paul reminds us in Romans, he says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This goes against our natural inclinations, but this is the way that that evil will be overcome. So you should trust God in it. However, what this isn't saying is that we should just be unwise with our generosity, just throwing it to the wind. Our generosity doesn't preclude good stewardship and prudence or even having a budget. Verse five of Psalm 112 tells us that the affairs of the righteous are conducted with justice. The, the implication is that your generosity does not need to just be indiscriminate or that you should feel bad saying no to some people in your generosity. So, yes, you ought to be generous, even to your enemies in legitimate need, but you also must make the right decisions, the just decisions, ordering your generosity according to your obligations. This is how the, the righteous person gives. Lastly, Psalm 112 speaks to the confidence and courage of the righteous. Verse 7, in the beginning of verse 8, say, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid The righteous do not fear people or things because their ultimate fear is in the Lord. They are firm and secure and confident in their faith, not because of their own willpower and strength, but because the Lord steadies their heart. Their trust is in the Lord and not in themselves. We cannot afford to adopt the the world's means and methods in in seeking to overcome our difficult situations. Our hope of of God's blessings must come in accordance with God's word. You must not buy the lie that that God's means are weak or ineffective. That's not true. They're, They're not. We must be Confident and courageous, knowing that God's word is sufficient. We must be generous with what we have. We must act with grace and mercy and righteousness. So, if you're doing that, then keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Keep obeying God. Trust that the eternal result of the righteous is certain. This brings us to our last point this morning. That is the, the eternal result of the righteous. Notice how Psalm 112 contrasts the, the outcome of the righteous with the outcome of the wicked. Throughout this text, the, the psalmist repeatedly mentions that, that righteousness endures forever. Or something very similar to that. Three different times he says this. Verse three, his righteousness endures forever. Verse six, the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. And verse nine, his righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Righteousness is permanent and lasting. It does not fade away. It is eternal because it's simply a a reflection and an imitation of God's eternal righteousness. The righteousness that he shows us in Psalm uh, 111, verse 3. The godly man just imitates the righteousness of God. But what about the wicked? What will happen to him? Verse 10, the wicked man sees it. He he sees the the success and the, the triumph of the righteous and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. The wicked man is ruined by his own devices. He sought victory on his own terms and by his own nefarious means. And his plans were frustrated. He watches the the victory of the righteous as a sore loser on the side of the road. He melts away like like ice cream that's on a hot summer sidewalk. He fades into the background. But the righteous man, verse 8 says that he looks in triumph on his adversaries. The victory is his But who is the righteous man ultimately? If you haven't picked up on it yet, the the righteous man from Psalm 112 is not ultimately you or I sitting here this morning. This righteous man is none other than the Lord Jesus. And how do we know that the, the righteous will triumph? We know because the righteous man triumphed. He was and is full of blessedness and joy because, in his perfect obedience, he never broke fellowship with the joyous Father who sent him to earth. He gathered with him all the, the wealth and the riches of heaven and brought them with him in his glorious condescension to us. He was and is the, the true light that shines in the darkness and which. The darkness did not and has not overcome. And for our sake, in his abundant generosity, he became poor, he gave himself away so that he could give salvation to the world. And when he faced hostility from evil men, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He was confident and courageous in the face of evil men and even in the face of death. And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in his resurrection, he routed the wicked man, Satan. And he disarmed the the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And he has now been appointed the heir of all things. And in himself, he will inherit all the promises and the blessings of God. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is Jesus, the righteous man that Psalm 112 talks about. And he is the righteous man who triumphed over his adversaries. And all those who belong to him by faith will join in the triumph with him. Not because of their own righteousness, their own strength, their own ability, but because they have been joined together to the righteous one. So we close, I want to urge you as Christians, as new creations in Christ, with new hearts enabled to obey, to stay the course in the face of dark times and bad news and wicked people. Do not give in to worldly solutions and temptations trying to solve your problems. Remember that God is sovereign over all things, that his word is sufficient to guide us in all circumstances and look to Christ who walked this this path of righteousness before us and who is with us still. And as one pastor has said, as we imitate the Lord, we must also keep an eye on the astonishing promises that were given to him. Imitating the Lord means imitating his expectations also and his expectations were grounded firmly in what God had promised him. These promises are ours also, but they are ours only in Christ, and in him, the righteous will triumph. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you triumphed with pierced hands and feet so even as we expect that you will bless the righteousness of your people may we not be unaware that often the, the, the path to glory and to blessedness is also the path that includes suffering and trials lord we know that you withhold no good thing from your children And Lord, when when the pastures are green, may we receive it with humble gratitude from your hand. And when the womb is barren and the car breaks down and the child is wayward and the house is leaky again, may we rest securely and confidently knowing that you have a purpose beyond ours. Lord, we ask that you would help us to walk in righteousness according to your word. We pray that you would be glorified in the obedience of your people. We pray this in Jesus' matchless and triumphant name. Amen.